Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the world-famous Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, joined on the podcast today by both Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. Uh, and Jack, since we last spoke on Monday's podcast, important game in South London where Crystal Palace triumphed. I'll put it no more strongly than that. Yeah, a really good win for Palace and a very a good evening for Tottenham. And also for Charlie Eccleshare, who's always been of the view that Arsenal would drop enough points for Tottenham to to make it into fourth. And obviously, long way to go. But I think his there was a boost for his side of the argument, given how Arsenal played. I thought, you know, Palace were miles better than Arsenal, weren't they? They were fantastic. And Arsenal looked pretty rattled. I had the uh, the joy of my double life as a neutral um, sports presenter on national radio and a frankly ridiculously overcommitted Spurs fan in real life. In that, of course, I was watching it on a screen while broadcasting very neutrally about everything. And each time I had to say, there's been another goal in South London. Which way has it gone, Kevin Hatchard? While punching the air, which was quite visible, of course, <laughs> to my colleagues um, who were watching me on, on, on Zoom. But it's happened to me before all that. And uh, except for the 4-4 and Aaron Lennon's equaliser, uh, at the Emirates, um, I, 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 I love football, Stan. I, I love football, Stan. Uh, I, I, I have managed to keep it together, but it is an important result, isn't it, James? I mean, what Jack was saying there, the bookmakers suddenly can't split them, and of course, Spurs actually gained four points in in those three days because the goal difference change was so huge. It's arguable Spurs have actually picked up four points. Yeah, I mean, I think we were saying last week before before those two matches that it felt like one of those weekends where. Arsenal maybe could drop points, and having gone to Villa and won the the pre- or before the international result. break, which was another game that felt like it was one where it's possible to drop points, and I'm sure we'll come onto that mm. in a minute for Spurs. Yeah, yeah, it did feel like a, a quite a big moment, and for them to lose in the way they lost, you know, a couple of injuries as well. It, it might, it, from a Spurs perspective, you have to hope it's one of those defeats that maybe leaves a mark, a psychological mark. Unfortunately, I think they've got quite a good game this weekend, home to Brighton, which I suspect, I suspect they'll find a way of winning. But regardless, I mean, just purely in terms of the points, I think it's, it feels like a big a big swing. And as you say, the goal difference now, which is a testament to Tottenham's improvement in terms of attacking play, yeah, it suddenly it does feel like the ball is maybe more in Spurs' court uh, than it has been at any point this season. Really. Well, for the first time in several weeks, both sides now have it in their own hands, which is, uh, you know, making for even more excitement. And I'm not going to get overexcited myself about it because, as you say, there is a ton of football still to be played. Which takes us once again, Jack, into talking about the future. Obviously, this whole season, even as it's improving towards the end for Spurs, keeps on being played out under not a cloud, but a sort of mist of the future of both the manager, Antonio Conte, and at least one of the star players. 
Um, let's talk about the manager. You wrote a piece during the week in The Athletic, and it was you were you were speculating as to the future of Antonio Conte, which, of course, is in the air all the time at the moment. But your question is, why would he want to leave just now? What's behind that? Ever since Conte taken the job, there has been this lingering question, will he stay for next season? And, you know, to be honest, a lot of the time, Conte has stoked this himself by threatening to, by explicitly threatening to quit, by talking about, by refusing to commit himself to being here next season, which he's done re- repeatedly. So, it's, I mean, a lot of the time you see people on Twitter saying, oh, you know, journalists making this up, trying to get rid of Conte. I'm not trying to get rid of Conte at all. It's something that Conte has, you know, taken an active role in. And so I've been wondering whether or not he would stay. And I think a lot of the time I have I have got the impression that he does have an eye on what else might be out there, that he's not, you know, there are a lot of things about working at Tottenham that piss him off and that maybe he would, you know, jump at the chance to go and manage somewhere else next season if if he doesn't feel like he can get what he wants from Tottenham. But I think over the last few weeks, I'm slightly changing my mind on this and starting to, I'm I'm now, I think he's more likely to stay than I thought, you know, after the Burnley game, for example, six weeks ago. And certainly, and watching them on, watching them on Sunday and seeing how Conte was, I, I kind of started to think he'd be mad to go. It would be a, bizarre decision to go whether they come fourth or fifth and i you know let's say it's a 50 50 chance of either of those things happening just because he's done the hard work you know he's got rid of the players he doesn't like he's got in some new ones who do agree with him he's taught the players the basics of how he wants them to play he's got them fitter he's got them believing in him he's done the hard yards and so really what happens now is the kind of reward for that hard work. Whereas if he were to go to Roma or PSG or Real Madrid, or, I mean, to be honest, there wouldn't be many other options out there for him, I think, at this point, he would have to do that hard work all over again. And it would be another, you know, best part of a year until he could get the rewards. So that's why I think he should stay and why I think he probably will stay. I don't really see what job is going to come up this summer that, uh, is going to be suitable for him or, uh, or that he would want or that, where the club would want him. I mean, you mentioned Romy just selling in a piece you wrote last week. I mean, uh, uh, to me, that feels like at best probably a sideways step. I mean, to an Italian person, maybe that is a bit different and you kind of understand that. But looking at Madrid last night, I mean, uh, you and I, Jack, had a conversation about Ancelotti yesterday where we were talking about... Um, him feeling like a bit of an anomaly as a manager at a big club in terms of being sort of slightly more antiquated, maybe a bit unfair, but he feels like the sort of previous generation of managers now in terms of how he operates and in terms of how he runs a team. And yet, Madrid are very good yesterday. It looks like they're more than likely going to be in the semi-finals of a Champions League. And that probably alone isn't enough to keep a Madrid manager in the job, as we've seen before, but he's going to win the league as well. So I think there's quite a good chance Ancelotti's going to be Madrid manager next season now. Obviously, he's not going to end up going to Barcelona because Xavi is clearly yeah he's you know, doing great being, stuff. Being held as a genius there, and not and not necessarily incorrectly, by the way. And then where else is there? You know, but Bayern have invested in Nagelsmann. He's not going to go somewhere like Dortmund. I don't think that doesn't feel like a good cultural fit. There isn't another club in the Premier League, especially if Ten Hag is going to Manchester United. He's not going to go to no, Manchester United. No, it, it, it leaves Paris Saint Germain, where I can't imagine a worse fit of manager and culture, because he, you know, the, the, you think he's got. Um, day-to-day issues of trying to work around Daniel Levy and Paraccio or whoever he's trying to you know, complain about in, in the press conferences, you go to Paris Saint-Germain and he'll be told um, you know, on occasion, what, well, he'll certainly be told what players they're going to bring in 
And he may even be told what players are going to play in the first 11 week by week. He wouldn't last three months at Paris Saint-Germain, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with both of you. I think on the funny thing about him, if he were to go to Roma, I mean, the first thing to say on that is that Jose Mourinho remains incredibly, incredibly popular with the Roma fans, even though they're currently... Famous. I mean, they're doing much better now. Yeah, and they're improved. But, yeah. but, but they're on the fans love though. him, and I can't see them. I can't see the current board getting rid of Jose at this point. But even if he were to go to Roma, Roma's basically... It's a little bit like going to Tottenham. You know, it's a team that hasn't won for a long time. You've got ambitious owners who want to start winning again. You've got to change the culture, etc., etc. And PSG, I mean, exactly as Danny says... Mauricio Pochettino spent the last 18 months trying to impose a side of play on PSG. He's found it in- incredibly difficult, not least because he has to play Messi and Neymar. But, you know, if, you, if you have to play Messi and Neymar, that really, that really determines the style of play that you, can, that, that you can play. And we've seen this, with, you know, no wonder they got run through in the second half by Real Madrid in the Champions League, because they've got the two guys up front who don't run. And if Conte were to go there, he would have precisely the same issue. I'll throw, I'll throw, um, it's, it's not that much of a curveball, but I will throw a curveball in there. Juventus, they're obviously out of the Champions League. They're not going to win um, the Serie A after their defeat last weekend. And Max Allegri is thought of by the ever capricious chairman of Juventus to, it turns out to be slightly yesterday's man. The solution to which might be to go back to even more yesterday's man as far as Juventus are concerned and Antonio Conte. I've got no, believe me, I have no in-the-know information here. I don't know nothing, as they say on Radio 4. Um, and uh, I, it's just a, a thought that occurred to me. Um, let me I ask get you the a, impression that his bridges are burnt at, at you. Everywhere. Know, possibly at Inter <laughs> as well. I don't think there's many. That, that's the problem is that I don't think there are many potential openings for him in Italian football. And I think, to be honest, with the, the thing with Conte is that he, because he's so intense and high-maintenance and demanding and he's prone to saying... Th- He's prone to going very, very off script in press conferences. Lots of clubs don't want to touch him. Like he, he, he's got fewer offers than he should do, given how good he is, because he's obviously brilliant, brilliant, brilliant at what he does. But, but I think a lot of clubs, and the perfect example of this is Manchester United, a job that I think he would have loved, but who, you know, he's not in the running. You know, the reason that I think one of the reasons he's at Tottenham in the first place is because he knew he wouldn't be in the running. For this, for the process that is currently climaxing at the moment, like clubs, a lot of the fact, the sad fact is that a lot of clubs care more about having a smooth, you know, a smooth corporate flow sure, day course. to day yeah. than they care about winning, and that means that they think Conte, ah, he's kind of good, but we can't really be asked, can we? And that's really why that's I think that's a big part of why he's currently at Tottenham. James, that, uh, James, uh, uh, that was a good technical analysis of where he might or might not go. Let me ask you a personal question. Of course, you want him to stay because he's a good manager. Would you be heartbroken if he left? Uh, I'd certainly be more uh, frustrated by that at, at this point than I would have been sort of a month or so ago when I think, to be honest, you know, you and I had a conversation on a podcast and I think we were sort of in agreement that it wouldn't be the end of the world if he did leave. It didn't feel like Conte leaving would represent the end of any kind of ongoing project. Now it does really feel like there is an identity to the team and there is... A clear path in in terms of where this team can improve and where this team will improve with with good coaching and you know continued cohesion between the players and whatever. I said obviously improvements in terms of recruitment. So yeah, it would be bad now. And 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 I say this, I'll say this now. Even though it seems inevitable that Maurizio Pochettino is going to leave PSG, and you'll be having a very similar conversation about him and the jobs he could take. Mm-hmm. By the way, even that emotional pull, I don't think would be enough to make me want to switch. 
I'm sure a lot of people listening will disagree with that, but I don't think I, I don't think I would uh, even be tempted by that at this stage. Actually, I'm struggling to think where Pochettino will go next, but um, again, I have no in- interior knowledge that. And I, yeah, I agree with you. Very quickly after the Burnley game, I thought if you don't want to be here, go. Um, it's a kind of overprotective thing about the club. But actually, when you see the progress that the players seem to be making, as collectively and individually, it wouldn't be a good thing. Just as I say, we were saying after that that he was too emotional and for that reason he should go. But actually, possibly the irony is that maybe we were being too emotional and he was fine. Oh, I'm, I'm, definitely, Who's I'm, to say? I'm definitely too emotional, but I can't go. I'm stuck. I think that when it comes to dealing with Conte, responding to Conte, thinking about Conte, you can't take him too literally, I think. I think this, you know what I mean? Because he's so, he's prone to saying things which are quite extreme and which sound bizarre, particularly to you know, to be honest, to English people, which, um, I mean, English football isn't used to this kind of outburst, I think. And maybe it helps not to take it, you know, take him seriously, but not literally, as I think people would say about Donald Trump. Because otherwise you just, you know, I think Spurs, whether it's Spurs fans, Spurs media, or just, jet, you know, neutral observers can drive yourself a little bit mad with responding too much to what Conte says. Well, one of the things that seems to bother him a great deal is whether or not he's going to get 10 new players in every transfer window. We'll come on to that in the second half of the podcast. But to stick with Antonio Conte and rather more um, fun, I hope, and lighthearted. Well, of course, he, you know, he lives in London now and he gets around. We saw him um, at uh, Stamford Bridge uh, watching Real Madrid, as was Sergio Reguilón, I noticed. But of course, he would be. He's a Real Madrid supporter and all the rest of it. But more recently on social media, we've seen appearances not unlike the way Pochettino used to turn up at steak restaurants of Antonio Conte in London's various high, particularly North London's, various high quality pizzerias. He clearly likes a calzone, this lad. Yeah, so this was, so Conte, a photo was put up on the Instagram account of a pizza restaurant called 50 Calo, K-A-L-O, uh, which is just off Trafalgar Square, which Conte had clearly been into the, over the last few days. This place is really good. I think, for me, I think it's the best pizza you can get in, like, in, proper, in properly central London, where, you know, there's uh, a lot of options, but pretty pretty varying. So, yeah, 50 Calo is really good, and I was pleased to see Conte there. And then a listener pointed out that he... The day before Tottenham beat Leeds United 2-1 in November, he Conte did a photo at Lantica, the pizza place in High Barnet. So clearly Conte is a bit of a, a has a high as well as being a top coach, is a very good judge of pizza. Jack, I thought of a great way for you and I to scam athletic expenses. Let's do a big long read on all the best pizza places in London. Well, yeah, that, me, you, and Hawk, me, you, and Hawk. I'd read that. Go. I'd read that. And, yeah, we put it all on expenses. Yeah, perfect. And I was, I was. Tom, Tom cut this bit out. Tom, cut this. I bit remember out. when we were, we did a bit a few months ago talking about you know uh, where might be a good place to go for a beer before going to a Tottenham game, and then I was thinking where would be the best place to recommend people go for a pizza before a Tottenham game. The two ones that I've come up with, and these might be, I don't. I'd, I'd be interested to hear what our listeners think. I think the best pizza you can get in North London is uh, Papagoni's on Stroud Green Road in Finsbury Park, which is really, really good. And also it has like, because it's... That's very much not Tottenham. No, no. It's, oh, it's, I know, and I'm, I'm, you know, um, the one I was thinking about is very much in deepest, darkest Arsenal uh, country it's, it's as very well. Arsenal country. And I think, I think there's a bit of a history of like Italian teams maybe going there bef- after playing Arsenal. 
like they've got tons of photos on the wall so that's good and you can get the 259 bus from finsbury park up to tottenham if you wanted to there's also a place called sacro cuore in crouch end which is just up the hill uh, so you can get the you could go there if you wanted before a tottenham game then get the w3 bus to tottenham this is incredible. Yeah. What a great, you get this what a great what a service. Service. Maybe, no, this is amazing. Maybe you do get this on other Spurs podcasts, but... No, I have, a, I have a suspicion you don't get this on other Spurs podcasts, and that is why ours is both award-winning and globe-rogering, um, which is the two things that we want it to be from week to week. Any recommendations of food stops other than the Chick King, uh, James? It's got, it's got to be chicken, hasn't <laughs> yeah. it? I'm sure, I'm sure. I mean, look, anyone, any match-going Spurs yeah. fan, I suspect, will, will be more than familiar with Chick King. That is... Uh, like it's not, I really couldn't say anything other than that. That would be uh, sacrilege. Okay. Um, and well, I hope we see more of the easing habits of Antonio Conte, though the players who are these days forced to live on bark and gravel might be stroking a thoughtful chin at the, at the sight of their manager scoffing the uh, Diavolo in one pizzeria after another. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about transfer targets uh, that Antonio Conte may want to achieve uh, during uh, the summer and much else besides your listening to The View from the Lane. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. It's The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With us today, James Moore and Jack Pitbrook. Um, just a quick mention before we get into the more media stuff of uh, Villarreal and that fantastic victory they had in the Champions League a few hours ago, because we're recording this, I should make the point, on the Thursday morning, um, over Bayern Munich with not one, not two, um, well, actually, two former and one current Spurs player. And, and, and I have to put my hands up here because I'm one of his worst critics, Giovanni Lo Celso was the man of the match. And the mastermind, well, Unai Emery is the mastermind, but he was he was very, very good. I have to say it and I have to own up to it. That's big of you. Oh, I know. I know. Um, I'm, I am the first to admit to my mistakes, James, because I am so practised at it. I mean, it's good to be wrong, isn't it? Because clearly, I mean, I, I, I don't think even these performances from La Celso are going to be enough to kind of move a dial in terms of him having a future at Spurs. So him, him being one of the players of the Champions League, particularly when there isn't, I don't think there's a fee agreed with Villarreal in terms of like a sort of uh, future transfer. I could be wrong, but I don't think there is, which actually in this instance may work out to be quite a good thing because, you know, they could flog him to Real Madrid for 100 million or whatever. Yeah. So I'm not 100% certain on this, but my impression is that there is not a fee agreed with Villarreal as an option as part of the deal. I think in part because the deal was done so quickly on, I think, the last day of the window for him to go there. So they didn't agree anything. I've always been of the view that Lo Celso was a really good player. Like I've, all, you know, some people think he's rubbish. He's not rubbish. He's very good. It didn't clearly it didn't work out for him at Tottenham. Yeah, and for all sorts of reasons. 
don't think he was especially popular at the club on a personal level. I think the Argentina stuff was difficult. I think he never quite find, found a role within Conte's system, which I was a bit surprised and disappointed by because I think he's got he had a lot of elements to his game that that I thought Conte would like. Um, that said, watching Tottenham at the moment, especially since Kulusevski's come into the team, I don't think oh they really miss Lo Celso. But I do. I've always I've always been on the side of the argument which says he's a good player. Uh, I was always a bit surprised when people said he was shit, which he isn't. I mean, it's a bit like in Dumbelay in that he came in, the manager who signed him left before he'd had any chance to kind of set exactly. into the team. And then there's been this like managerial stylistic churn ever since. Uh, but I think the difference with Ndombele is with Ndombele, you could kind of see moments and matches where like we were like, this guy is amazing. We've got to keep giving him chances. With Lacelso, those moments, matches are so, have been so few and far between. I mean, maybe there was a spell just before the kind of lockdown in 2020. But other than that, I mean, it's been slim pickings, really, isn't it? And yeah, I think the best thing would be Villarreal in the semi-finals of the Champions League, knock out Real Madrid. Here's two amazing games, and he goes there for big, big, big bucks. Or another team in Spain. Yeah. You know, because there's no purchase, of, because I think there's, although happy to be correct on this, I believe there's no purchase option with, with Villarreal. If he does really, 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 really well at Villarreal, just look, for example, Atletico Madrid, like, you know, we all saw that Atletico Madrid City game. They're a team which, you know, they, they want high intensity midfielders who are willing to do a lot of running for the service of the team, which is something that Les Els, I think, can do, even though he didn't especially do it at Tottenham. He'd be perfect for a team like that if they want, you know, somebody else to go in there alongside alongside Koke in midfield and Urante. So yeah, I think he I think he he'd be good there. I actually think he could probably slot in at, at Sevilla. I'm not sure he'd want to go there because of the Betis connection, whatever. You know, there's tons of places he could go. So I'm sure there might I wonder if there might even be a bit of an auction for him in the summer. It's undoubtedly a good thing that he's playing so well, both for Argentina and for for the, for the club that he's now on, on loan at Villarreal. What about this? Uh, you've been writing, Jack, about uh, t- Tottenham's to move on to the next transfer window, main transfer targets. And interestingly, that it's a left-sided centre-back. First of all, before we get into the names here, how, Spurs are not going to have Conte money to spend in the summer, if I got this right. They're going to have to give them Romero money over, which is, I think, £40 million. Surely they'll cement the Kulusevsky transfer, which is another 30-odd million euros. Are they going to actually have much money to spend in in the summer? Because those those two princes will drain the coffers. I would imagine that the Romero money is already budgeted. I, I think it's just a sort of technicality that he's a, mm-hmm. you know that signing is going through this summer. I I imagine that I I get the, I get the feeling that Tottenham feel as if he's been bought already. I think a lot will depend on the Champions League. I think a lot will depend on sales potential sales this summer, which in turn will depend on what the market is like you know it's been a very very bad market for selling players in the last few years if it's a more buoyant market for whatever reason then Tottenham might be able to make a bit of money which allow them to spend some more but if they do have money to spend I think this will be the priority and I think they will commit money to it so the story that we published this morning about the the four options that they're looking at, I think it, in a sense, probably more likely three because it become increasingly clear in the last day or two that Sven Botman looks like he's probably going to AC Milan. They would have to pay up for these guys. You know, they'd have to pay at least as much they paid for Romero, which I think was what, 50 million euros, 42 million pounds. So yeah, these guys won't come cheap, but if there is money to spend, I think this is where they will spend it. Let's work through the list then that your piece outlined. Um, you mentioned uh, Sven Botman, who done very well at Lille for the last couple of years. Interesting that all four of these names I'm going to mention are between 20 and 22 years of age. 
the one that's top of the list here is uh, Josko Gravidol, Gravidol of RB Leipzig, who has made huge strides for a person barely out of his teens. But Leipzig would be looking for a lot of money for this fellow, I think it's fair to say. Is that right? Yeah. Gravidol is really highly, highly rated at, at Leipzig, so much so that I think that if Tottenham were to get him, I think it would be well... I think it would be my comfortably the biggest fee that Tottenham have ever paid. You know, so Tottenham, what, paid 50 plus, 55, I think, for Tanguy and Domblay in 2019. It's possible that Gravardiol would be as much as, you know, sort of 70 or 80 million because he's he's an elite player, you know. He's someone who I, who I imagine if he doesn't go to Tottenham this summer will end up at City, Liverpool, Bayern, Barca, Real Madrid, that level of club. So I think he'd probably be the most expensive of the options that I reported on this morning, which maybe makes him a little bit of a stretch. James, the other names on the list are Alessandro Bastoni and the fantastically named Jert Freiburg centre-back Nico uh, Schlotterback. I would go with Schlotterback <laughs> based on the name. Yeah. I think that sounds like a great name. That's like a really pre, uh, really pleasing thing to say. Nico Schlotterbeck. I mean, I know we'll get people telling us we're saying that wrong. I mean, I, I suppose logically, given Bastoni has played for Conte before, you can kind of see that that might make him easier to integrate integrate into the system. But I think all of them have played on a three, on the left of a three. So they all should be there. But Botman, I know, is a player who everyone's been talking about. But I think, and this is reflected in Jack Speets, stylistically, he's probably not quite what Spurs are after. He's more of a defender's defender than a kind of guy who'll surge forward with the ball, which is, you think, what Spurs, well, what Conte wants from a player in that position. Which isn't to say that Schlotterbeck is that player, because I just don't know. I know he's quite good on Football Manager. Yeah. I don't know if that's, I, I know this isn't that kind of podcast, but... Uh, Aren't you too old to be playing Football I, Manager? What, you you no longer play Football Manager, Jack? Correct. What a smug look on his face. Yeah, damn right. Uh, Sat in a darkened room. I, I, don't, I don't play any football computer games. Yeah, I spend most of my time watching Is It Cake? Is It Cake? Okay, tell me about Is It Cake? Do I need to see it? Yeah, yes, you do need to see it. So, is it a cake in the shape of a so Leicester player cake, from the 1990s? No, but that would be a really good one. Uh, so Is It Cake is a show on Netflix where... Let's say somebody bakes a cake in, which looks like a football. Then that cake is then put on a pedestal alongside other actual footballs. Uh-huh. And judges have to guess which is the cake, which is the cake that looks like a football, which is the actual football. And then once they've chosen what they think to be the cake, the, the host, whose name I forget, then cuts through it with a knife to see is it a cake or is it a football? So that so you're meant to so you're meant to bake a cake which is so kind of hyper realistic, as well as being a very tasty cake, so that so that you can fool judges into thinking that it is in fact not a cake. That's the beauty of is it cake. Anyway, back to Alessandro Bastoni. <laughs> yeah, back to Alessandro Bastoni. Um, and we've already talked about pizza earlier on, so obviously dough is the big uh, issue here. I noticed that uh, in your piece that the, the idea of buy, buying a veteran of Conti from Conti's many many clubs like De Vrij seems to have gone sort of back of the of the of the plan. Is that right? Well, I think it, I think it's that they know that the left of the three is specifically what they want to improve. But I think maybe slightly harsh on Ben Davis, who I think has done a great job this year. But this is what they want: someone who can play on the left of the three. 
And that, I think, means that they want somebody with specific experience of doing that. So Gavardiol has that from Leipzig. Bastoni has that from Inter. Uh, Schlotterbeck has that a bit from Freiburg, although obviously Sven Botman not so much. As James said, he's more of an old-school centre-back. So I do think a lot of this a lot of this does hinge on the, the specific experience of playing that role. And while, you know, it might be that Gvardiol, Bastoni and Schlotterbeck are all beyond what Tottenham can afford this summer, but they definitely want someone who can do that job and who I think is probably a little bit like Romero, maybe a little bit more conventional than Romero, but somebody who's aggressive defensively, you know, quick enough to defend fairly high up the pitch if needed, and who, you know, will step out and nick the ball. And also, crucially, is really good at using the ball. And Schlotterbeck, Bastoni and Gvardiol as you can see from the stats that we've got in our in in the story, are really, really, really good at using the ball. You just made me smile there at the prospect of getting a left-sided version of Romero. Imagine if such a thing existed, the chaos uh, around Eric Dyer week by week by week. It'd be great fun. <laughs> I mean, it is it is tough on 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 Ben Davis, but I think James, if if Spurs are going to really try and improve the team, that. It, it, Jack's piece is right. It's an obvious place to start that, isn't it? If you're going to play three at the back. Yeah. I mean, I think if you were to look at Spurs' like last kind of four or five performances in isolation, you would look at the team starting 11 and say, I, 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 I mean, people will go crazy when I say this, I know, but like, there aren't like, there isn't an obvious area where they're like hugely, hugely, hugely desperate, given how well Doherty is played, which isn't to say they can't improve there or shouldn't try and improve there. But I think it's, it feels like less of a need than it did two months ago. So right wing back, left-sided centre-back, maybe someone a bit more creative in midfield, which I still think in other games could prove to be a, a problem. Those would be the areas. And obviously another centre-forward, I guess, for Kane to not have to play every single game. So, I mean, that is that feels like an area where you are more likely to sign someone that is going to improve the team. I, I kind of think with that right wing back thing, because there are so few players that play in that role, it feels like it's going to be a bit more of a. Pump. And I'm more trusting now of, of um, the Paratici and then Paratici Conte axis. As I say, Spurs have quite obviously improved three first team places in two transfer windows. When you're in the upper half of some of these big leagues, it's quite hard to improve the starting 11. Now, Spurs, of course, had stagnated, so some of that was taken away by that, but they have improved. And if Antonio Conte is to stay and is to up the profit margin of North London's pizzerias, though I assume he's getting them for nothing, actually, then you know I'll trust him to, to, to be looking for the right kinds of players. All of which takes us to the difficult moment. We started the programme being very careful not to gloat about Arsenal's defeat at Crystal Palace because Tottenham's next fixture is away to Aston Villa, an identical-looking banana skin. James, it's, it's almost fruitless, but we have to do it to try and preview these games in the Premier League because they are still so incredibly competitive. And anybody who watched Burnley and Everton in the midweek, just an incredible game of football. It played in proper horizontal rain. I really enjoyed it. But I suppose there'll be as few changes as possible and hope that Villa's current poor run continues. Yeah, I mean, I think we could all have a pretty good stab at what the team is going to be. I mean, I, I suspect... Despite how well it worked with uh, Royale and um, Doherty on the flanks last weekend, that if Reguilon or Sessegnon are fit, they'll kind of revert to that. Yeah, I mean, it does. It, you're right. I, I mean, we were saying it about Villa away when it was Arsenal three yeah. weeks ago. It's definitely it's a tough. It's one of the tougher games that Spurs have got left. Villa have been maybe a little bit hit and miss this season, 
They've clearly had some good results and performances. They may have lost their last three games. They weren't especially good against Arsenal. It didn't really feel like that was that scoreline was ever in threat once Arsenal went one 0 up, which I think was after like half an hour or something. And I, I think Arsenal were quite comfortable there, really. I mean, it, you know, this is another game that Spurs have to win. That we we know they're the better of the two teams, but we know it's a Premier League game where they could drop points. And I know this all sounds like a bit of a cliche, mm-hmm. and I sound like a manager or a player, but that is kind of the reality of it. You're not going to get me making brash predictions. Spurs certainly have it within themselves to win, and I'd be much more confident about it than I would have been a month or so ago. But uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, they're going to drop points to someone, aren't they? So you never know. For what it's worth, Tottenham have an amazing record at Villa Park. Yeah, they really the do. Last time, the last time Tottenham lost at Villa Park was the New Year's Day 2008. When That's a bit uh, nuts, isn't it, that? Yeah, yeah, when they lost. Since then, they've played... Since then, they've played their... You can listen to... This is me doing research in real time. Uh, they... I can't be bothered to count. They've, they've, won, they've won most of their games there with a handful of draws over the course of the last 14 years, uh, including a few big wins as well. I mean, does that... How much of bearing will that have on the game? Probably none. But it's the sort of thing that people who like football are quite interested in. Yeah. Uh, and the, the fact is that Tottenham are just playing much better than Villa at the moment. I think Tottenham should be confident of getting a decent result out of this game. What else is to say about Aston Villa uh, and the away game? Just very quickly, is that it? They've won one of the last six at home, I think, just from looking at the results, which, I mean, maybe suggests that Villa Park isn't the most difficult place to go. But I, like you say, like, I don't want to talk no, us into... No, no. Uh, I just think tactically it's going to be... We don't want to get into jinxing territory. Yeah, I don't want to jinx Tottenham either. I think it'll be. it's one of those tactically interesting games where... We, I think it's safe to say that Tottenham are better against teams that, you know, play aggressively, give them space to attack into. And I'm sure that the home crowd will want Villa to do that. But if they do that, Tottenham will pick them off. So I wonder whether it might be in Villa's interest to keep it tight, sit back and wait. Very hard kind thing of to what do, you, as you say. Which yeah. is what Newcastle did quite well in the first half. But I don't know because, it's, you know, it's, 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 tough, it's tough down there. The last word of caution on this, of course, is that, um, and Spurs do have a remarkably good record at, at Villa Park, is that before the game at the weekend, people were pointing out what a good record Newcastle have got um, in North London. Um, but that didn't work out at all well uh, for the Magpies. Um, I guess that's it until we come back in next Monday, where hopefully uh, Spurs will have confirmed that they're a better team than Aston Villa. And the turnaround in the race for fourth that we've seen in the past couple of weeks can be continue to say the bookmakers can't split though I haven't got a clue how it's going to go take it game by game and I'm looking at the fixtures now and I can't wait to Arsenal to get into that run of Chelsea Man United West Ham um, that they've got oh incidentally we should we shouldn't forget since we last spoke we actually have the date now for the North London derby how important is that that it's uh, for Arsenal it comes before their away game at Newcastle and their final home game, uh, game which is a home to Everton. Whereas Spurs, it's now slotted in after that uh, difficult trip to Anfield and before the games against Burnley and Norwich, one of whom will be certainly relegated by then, at least. I think, I, I mean, ha- Tottenham having to play Thursday night and then Sunday midday is a joke. You know, this is a problem that, you know, you get this sometimes in the Europa League when teams play Thursday. I remember once, fastically, Tottenham had to play, I think, in Azerbaijan on a Thursday night, was it? And then come back and play, you know, they landed at Luton Airport like Friday morning and then had to, pl- had to play Sunday morning. 
They did once have a game where they where they played away in the Europa or in the UEFA Cup and then played Chelsea away in the league on the Saturday last Saturday, So yeah. I mean, it's not quite as bad as that. That was like 2007. They're not quite as bad as that. But yeah, it's as bad really as bad. it's for Arsenal fans because Arsenal are away at Newcastle on the Monday night, mm-hmm. aren't they? Obviously, that's bad for their fans, but for the team, that's uh, definitely a more favourable uh, setup. The other thing to point out from this recent set of of uh, fixture changes is that. Liverpool against Tottenham Anfield, which we talked about the other week as being a, a potentially incredible game of football, it's now been moved to Saturday evening. Now, I don't really know why that is beyond the obvious reason that maybe BT think more people will watch it. But obviously, you know, deeply inconvenient for Tottenham fans trying to get the train back from Lime Street, which I, th- I think is very, very difficult to do. After that, after the game, you know, given that it's going to end at, at nine thirty, and then you've got a bit of a journey to get back to the station, I don't really understand the thinking there. And obviously, I think this is not, you know, not a good or fair thing for Tottenham fans or Liverpool fans. But listen, it's been a blast. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you all for listening. And let me remind you, as always, that if you're not already a subscriber to the Athletic, then you can sign up right now to read all of our articles on Spurs, including Jack's piece today on that left-sided centre back. Uh, situation going into transfer window um, in the summer. You'll also be able to access everything else that's on the site. And just now, go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and you can sign up for to pay just £1 a month for six months. We're back on Monday. And once again, thanks for listening. The Athletic.